Hey there, it's Melissa Brunetti, and welcome to the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. Hey there, Karma Crew. I am so happy that you came back for part two of Danielle Gaudet's story. We are talking to her today and talking about her book, Healing Tree. She is an adoptee, and today we are going to kind of close out her story and we're going to talk about her birth mother, who her birth mother is, why she wanted to search for her birth mother, and how she found her. But first, let me refresh your memory on Danielle a little bit. Danielle is a trainer and coach in body and brain principles and practices and currently works in Seattle as the regional director of Washington Body and Brain Centers. She shares her story in Healing Tree to help others find the courage to go inward, the courage to heal their hearts. Danielle is an adoptee, and if you missed part one, we talked about how she grew up, her adoption story, and we discussed ways that she thought the primal wound affected her life and her relationships along the way. So if you didn't listen to that, you might want to go back and listen to part one from last week and get caught up, or you can just start right here. So let's dive right into part two of Danielle Gaudet's story and her book, Healing Tree. So last week we discussed that you were told that your mother was an actress and you confirmed that to us. Tell us about the search for your birth mother and how you found her. How did that all work? Why did you want to search and how did you find her? Okay, sure. Um, So yeah, I was, I mean, I had always been told that I could search for my birth mother at the time once I turned 18, if I wanted to. And my parents were open to that. They didn't say, oh, you should do it. And they didn't say you shouldn't do it. They just were like, this is what you can do. We support you. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't find myself ready for that until I was 20 years old. I wasn't stable. You know, I was trying to figure out where to go to college and leaving home for the first time. And that was emotional. And I didn't find myself in a more stabilized position until I was at the University of Iowa. I had transferred there. So this was the, my my first semester of sophomore year at the University of Iowa, and things were more calmed down for me. And But by now, I had met so many new people, and everyone was always asking me, oh, what's your heritage, you know? Oh, you have a French name. Oh, are you French? I had, I had people in college who followed me around because I had a French name, and I wore a little hat, and they were for certain that I was from France, and I wasn't, and, you know, or your hair, oh, I bet you're this, or uh, maybe you're that. Everyone was always guessing, and I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I didn't I didn't like that, that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that there was a missing piece for me. Yeah. So it was really a huge curiosity that catapulted me to. Honestly, I felt stress about it in some ways because I was so close with my mother and so close with my my parents and my family that I felt, oh, I, I don't want to have a relationship. I don't need that, I felt. I just I feel a missing piece. Where did my face come from? Where did my hair come from? Where did my blood come from? Maybe I could just get some pictures, some information. It'll be great. That's what I was feeling. Right. 20 years old. So I decided to write a letter to the Catholic Charity Bureau in Manhattan, sent it off, came back very quickly, a letter from them responding by saying, 
all your files were burned in a fire. Sorry. (laughs) And I didn't know anything about anything. And so I was like, oh, I felt like orphan Annie, you know, like, right. Okay. Weird. Right. So they said, you can write to the state of New York. They, they gave me that, uh, they gave me that cue, I guess. So I did. I followed the cue. I wrote a letter right away to the state of New York, but I was getting ready to go abroad to Ireland for a semester for the spring semester. And I knew that when I got back from Ireland, I was going to be in Boston with my parents for the summer before I made it back to Iowa. So I'd made the return address, my parents' house in Boston, went to Ireland, had a great time, turned 21, came back and asked my father, uh, just because my father was sort of the paper keeper, (laughs) the, the keeper of all important documents. I asked him, did I get an email from the state of New York? And he said, I think you did. Let me double check. He ran to the dining room table where the all important papers were kept, found it, came back. I opened it and it said, even though you were born in New York, you were adopted through Massachusetts courts. So we can't help you, but we're inserting a brochure for an organization called the International Soundex Reunion Registry. So if you fill out your information and send it in, you'll become a member. And if one of your birth parents are members, this organization will connect you. Mm, Okay. Yeah. So I did it. I filled it out. I was like, all right, you know, just going, going with the flow, filled it out put a stamp on it, asked my dad to drop it in the mailbox. Like I literally did it in two minutes. I didn't think about it. I just did it. I was feeling, I was in the back of my mind feeling like this is going to be a long journey. Yeah. I would think so too. Yeah. Okay. This is just the next step in this long journey in this puzzle. This is another piece. So here we go. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what I did not expect was to get a phone call from that organization just two weeks. It was wow. Yeah. And so what happened with the phone call? What did they say? (laughs) So that was probably one of the most traumatic moments of my life. (laughs) Traumatic moments. (laughs) It was really intense. You know, they said, um, I think we found a match. Danielle, we need your help. You know, she's like, hi, this is Anne from International Sound Extreme Registry. I think we found a match. Immediately going into a very high anxiety state, right? Sweating. And then she says, do you have any, this is part is a little strange. I feel like I keep telling my adoption story these days. And the more I tell them, I'm like, yeah, it is kind of weird how it happened this way, isn't it? But she said, do you have any papers with any information about them? And I had in the back of my mind, because many, many, many months before when I started the search, when I was in Iowa and I told my parents, I think it was my mother who said, all right, well, we'll pull all of the information we have from your safety deposit box for you. Mm -hmm. I had that in the back of my mind. (laughs) Kind of, I feel like I became a robot from that moment that that woman said we found a match until I really don't even, like decades. It was, I was a robot for a long time, <laughs> but anyway, it was a very, very extreme robot still at this moment. So I just sort of wandered over. I was like, hold on. She, she said, I'll hold 
please find it. And then I found these papers. They were at the top of my pile on the dining room table. And the papers, she's like, read. I said, okay, found it. She said, read everything that it says. And it said very clearly, it didn't say their names, but it said their ethnicity, you know, biological. Oh, wow. Yeah. You didn't know that was there. (laughs) I didn't know that was there. It's so funny. You know, I can't help but wonder if I had seen those papers. I don't know if I would have. If you would have searched. Or maybe way later. I don't know. It's so yeah, how it worked. But she, she, the biological mother, was Irish, crazily, because I had just gotten back from Ireland. Wow. And the biological father, my biological father is Russian. And Russian happened to be my most passionate subject in college. I was obsessed with Russian culture and literature. So I, I couldn't believe this is happening while I'm on the phone with this woman. And she's like, all that information is correct. We have found your biological mother. Stay by the phone. We're going to call her now. And then we're going to call you right back. <laughs> uh. yeah. I mean, that's, it was like, that's like any other day. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's eight o'clock in the morning, right? No one's home because everyone's left for work and school. I'm by myself. I'm pacing around the house, hyperventilating. I don't remember it. It's it's kind of black in my, it, I feel like it was dark out, but obviously it wasn't. It was morning. I just, everything shrunk into a tiny little tunnel. <laughs> and then she called me back and she said, she was so excited. She's like, we're all so <laughs> happy over here at the office. Do you watch Star Trek? That's what she asked me. <laughs> and? So crazy. It was like, everything's out. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be way more dramatic than I have the ability to handle right now. That's that's what I mm. honestly felt. I was like, yay! Yeah. I know. I was like, much breaks breaks you know and I say in the book I just wish she was just normal regular plain boring boring you know (laughs) too much much. I almost fainted I was holding on to the counter I remember and I said no I don't because I didn't (laughs) and then she said well your biological mother is Kate Mulgrew She's Captain Catherine Janeway from Star Trek Voyager, and she's sitting in her trailer right now at Paramount waiting for you to call her. <laughs> um, and you're like, I'm dreaming right now. Like, it's not real. It's <laughs> like, breathe, breathe, breathe. Okay. I just became a very compliant. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For the, from that moment. I bet. So when you talk to Kate for the first time on the phone, it all happened so fast. So, I mean, how do you feel? Like, do you wish like you could just say, wait, stop a second. Give me time to prepare. You know, if there is, is there such a thing as preparing for meeting your birth parents? I mean, like, was it better that it happened so fast and it just happened? Or do you wish like you could have like had a couple days and then, <laughs> and then called her like, ret- or would it matter? Yeah. Would it even matter? That's right. And and who really knows in retrospect, all I can say is that it was as if I knocked on the door nonchalantly <laughs> to meeting my birth parents and the door went flying open and I fell on my face. It felt 
so fast and I was so unprepared. I suddenly realized at that moment how unprepared I really was. And that's why I just became, yes, okay, yes. Yeah. So it would never have occurred to me to say, can you, can you give me some time to think about that or anything? Right. Yeah. And it happened very fast and it was crazy. I really think that, and I, maybe this is a thing coming up because I hear people talking about it, but I really think there needs to be like reunion education. Like there needs to be some classes or something. Cause I mean, I jumped right in too without, I, I think I was just so open to the process and, and, you know, just to kind of, again, I was curious and letting things happen, but I wasn't prepared for the expectations that came at me um, uh-huh. from my birth mother. And maybe I had some expectations too, you know, I don't know, but um, I think there needs to be some education or some kind of resource out there for these reunions. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Education or a middle person who says, okay, now we want you to sit and breathe. But but even just saying that out loud, what I immediately think of is Tate's Kate's memoir that she wrote in 2015, Born with Teeth, that she wrote about me. She wrote that same story I just told you. Mm -hmm. She wrote that story in her book. And she said that when the woman from Soundex was kind of hanging up saying, I'm going to go call your daughter, you know, she's going to call you, even though I feel like it was Kate who called me. Kate feels like it was I who called her. Mm -hmm. So she said, your daughter's going to call you. Kate kind of was like, oh, no, can are you sure? Is she like she didn't want to hang up the phone with the woman. So I panicked that maybe I wouldn't. Yeah. Maybe I just, it would came this close, but I'd be gone again. Right. So I wonder if there was a go-between person who, who tried to create space and give time, if that time would cause one of the yeah. two parties to say, oh no, I can't do it. Yeah. I, you know, and the other thing is just like, even with my siblings, but especially with my birth mom, like I didn't think about what I was going to call her what my kids were going to call her, like, who is she to them? And how confusing is that going to be? And, you know, they already have grandparents, but here's this other grandma now. And, you know, just all those things that you just don't think about. Mm-hmm. You're just thinking about meeting that person. Who do you know, do I look like them? And, you know, what resemblances are there and all the fun things. And then once that honeymoon period is over, then it's like, okay, now what, who are you to me? Yeah. Where do you fit in? That's the hard part. That's, I think that's where the education needs to come in. I think that's a good point. You know, just asking those questions because I wasn't thinking about any of that at the time. That's right. That's right. And I feel, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like that was the beginning of my primal wound being exposed to me. Those very hard things. Like, who are you? What do you mean, mother? I have a mother. And it all just started to unravel inside. Yeah. The one of the first things my birth mother did was she gave me the book, The Primal Wound. Oh. And I was probably 23-ish at the time. And I was so angry reading that book because I was so protective of my adoptive parents. And I'm like, this is not me at all. I don't know what you're talking about. And how dare you give this book to me? And you think you know what I'm going through and who I am. I was so mad. I read it and I threw it in the trash (laughs) and I seriously didn't buy it again till 
probably six months ago mm-hmm. and reread it because now I'm in a totally different space where I can read it and say, I can own that part of it. Okay. Yeah. That one's not me, but that kind of is. And you know, yeah, I'm at that point where I can look at it, but back then I was not ready. Oh yeah. Even. Yeah. I was like, Nope, Nope. That's not me. (laughs) I was not ready to look at that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Totally understand. So the way you described your first meeting with your birth mother, it almost sounded again, like an out of body experience (laughs) for you. I was out of my, what do you remember about it? (laughs) I was out of my body for a long time. (laughs) Um, I remember we, we met first in the lobby of a hotel. We went, up to the restaurant. I hadn't eaten anything for four days. I was just sick. You know, I was just sick for those four days. I was sick to my stomach. It's such a nervous stomach. And, but, you know, I'm drinking wine and I'm trying to eat some food and it's just spinning like, but I, I was, yeah, out of my body. So I didn't feel a thing. I couldn't feel the wine. I don't couldn't feel the food. I couldn't feel anything. She was, she's very, you know, she loves to ask questions. Mm. She had a lot of questions. And of course, this was a really big deal for her because she'd been looking for me for a really long time. This is a very delicate moment for her. She's asked me a lot of questions. I don't remember any of them, but I think I was just trying to answer to the best of my ability. Um, and then we we ended up she said i've been holding in my my wallet your biological father's phone number all these years in case i found you do you want to go give him a call <laughs> i was like here we go yes <laughs> you know <laughs> here we go Didn't say anything else except for yes for the next decade it was just it was i was just kind of frozen <laughs> right what was it like seeing her though for the first when you very first saw her? Like, did you hug her? Do you remember? Like- I, I believe we hugged. I remember it was just a crowded lobby and I knew it was her because she was coming right towards me. And at first she seemed different than me because she's much more petite than me. Mm. And you know, I have this black curly hair. She had little brown bobbed straight hair, like Captain Janeway hair. Yes. And but but then when she got close and I knew it was her and we hugged each other and as I got a closer look I could really finally see oh this is where my face came from the same uh. line freckles kind of Irish skin and that was that was a good moment right mm-hmm. like, oh my face you know and every time since then when I see any similarities with anyone even my siblings or my biological father, I feel happy to find those things. Yeah. That was like in the middle of a swamp of <laughs> frozen numbness. Yeah. Right. Well, in the book, you, you said that at some point you guys were sitting next to each other and she said, where did you get those thighs? Those aren't my thighs. Yeah. And that's kind of funny because that happened to me with my birth mother too. How did that make you feel in that moment? Like, did you feel judged or... It's a little bit of a weird thing to hear. I, I might have felt judged because I have very big thighs. <laughs> she has very little thighs. So I, I never really liked my thighs. So a little, a little bit, but that was actually the second time I had heard her say something like that. The first was in the phone call where she was surprised that my voice 
was not a kind of raspy, deeper voice. She, she said she'd always imagine that my voice would be like her voice. Which she's a very unique mm. voice. So it was yeah. sort of the second time. So I could see that she was doing the same thing as I was doing. And it was just overwhelming. If that's, if I could yeah. pick one word to describe, it was one overwhelming thing after another. So to even just hear her say that, I was just even more overwhelmed than the moment before, yeah. you know? Yeah. My mom, my biological mom did that. She was like, you know, how come you don't have this and how come you don't look like that? And I was just like, I don't know. You tell me, <laughs> why aren't you taller? Like you, my dad, you know, your dad and I are tall mm. and you don't have blonde hair. And I was just like, I felt again, I felt those expectations that I wasn't meeting again. And I was like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I felt like apologizing. I'm like, sorry, I don't have hazel eyes and blonde hair. (laughs) You know, I think I didn't have a moment to feel that until I went to L.A. and met my two half brothers and realized that they had known me. And that moment from that moment, I felt, oh, I have to fill some shoes that already existed. And then I felt the huge feeling of expectation and I felt even more crazy. It was just one. It was a crazy roller coaster, like the whole time. Yes. Yeah. So at one point you talked to your adoptive mom about having Kate come visit. And you said, when I originally talked with my mother about arranging for Kate to come to Boston, she was driving us home from my Nana's house. She flicked her cigarette ashes out the window, staring dead ahead, not looking at me once. With all the collectedness she could muster, she said, okay, honey, whatever you want. But I'm sure later that night in the privacy of their bedroom, when only my father was around, she had probably had a full-blown panic attack. And a little bit down the page, you said she supported my decisions with every bit of strength she had, but I could always feel her. Yeah. Yeah. So how was that? Because it was the mouth was saying one thing, but the you know, the body language was saying something totally different. Did you feel that protectiveness come over you or did you feel bad about even bringing it up or how was that? I I definitely felt some concern. So I felt thankful for her, her great effort <laughs> to, to, you know, even though I knew I, because now I had said last week that her, I cared for her emotionally. So it was hard for me to now present something that I knew was going to make her anxious and make her fearful. It was, it was hard. I think I, yeah, I knew that that, that made me a little guarded and a little nervous. And because I knew her so well, I knew she was trying really hard, but on the inside, and that was always what we were trying to prevent, right? Her anxiety attacks and her panic attacks. But I could feel it's it's coming. It could be it could be close now because this yeah. is really hard for her. Right. right. But the meeting did happen. <laughs> Kate came and you said it was the most awkward breakfast ever. <laughs> but at one point, Kate and your mom were alone at the table. Tell us what happened. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my father got up to go get some food for everybody at the buffet to leave them alone because, oh, it was so awkward. The two mothers, they're both very strong personalities Mm -hmm. and they're 
they're strong women and they have different characters, but strong characters. And it was just clear that we needed to give them some time to have a conversation, (laughs) but there was no real easy way to do that. Right. So we just disappeared. And then when I came back, they had made an agreement. Kate told me, Kate told me that they had made an agreement that Kate wouldn't try to step on, which I think was my mother's fear, right? That now this strange lady is going to come in and say, I'm her mother. I'm taking Mm -hmm. her, right? So Kate wouldn't try to step on the relationship that Beverly, my mother, was my mother. And she would, Kate was going to respect that. That was one agreement. And the other agreement was, but my mother will open her heart. And if this is what Danielle wants to have a relationship with you, you are welcome for that. I'm not going to try to get in the way. I was just like, uh-huh. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Again. <laughs> yeah. So did that make you feel relieved or angry that they kind of made this decision for you and you were not privy to making it yourself? Like, did you feel anything towards that? Because I was too numb to feel anger or relief. I just felt overwhelmed. I felt uncomfortable. I felt this is so uncomfortable and weird. Look at my mother. She's struggling and this is awkward. And I'm just meeting Kate and she has a very bold personality and she really takes the lead. She's a great, she's a great captain actually. So I'm like, (laughs) what is happening here? What is going, you know, and then that wasn't the way that me and my mother and father talked either. You know, we didn't Mm. agreement. We didn't so it was new, new, new. And I hadn't, I couldn't, I couldn't process what is happening here. So it was just extreme overwhelm and more shut down. Yeah. But, yeah. but in retrospect, I'm just glad that that got out of the way. I think that was the only time they ever saw each other, the two of them. Oh, wow. So there was another awkward moment. That day, that whole day. <laughs> when, <laughs> when you were driving Kate back to the hotel. And you said after dinner, as we drove Kate back to the hotel, I sat in next to her in the car in the back seat. She reached for my hand from the front seat. My mom turned around and held my other hand. And then Kate said, how does it feel to have two mothers holding your hand? And you said, how does it feel? How does it feel? It feels like all circuits in my brain are shutting down. So what was that like? Because I can't imagine that. Yeah. How awkward. Yeah, exactly. So awkward. And you know what? I think I did feel anger at that moment. I felt anger. It's a little bit hard for me to say this, but I did feel anger and I think I felt it towards Kate. And it's hard for me to say that because Kate was super emotional that visit. She was even crying in that car ride. Like it was very clear that this was so hard for her. But I felt, didn't we just agree that she's my mother? Like, didn't we just agree? You know, because it was too much for me to have two mothers. It was too much. So I think I felt angry like, why are you saying that right now? And she didn't mean to be saying anything hurtful. That was her heart was overflowing, but I was like, I I can't, I can't do this. It feels, it feels horrible to have two mothers holding my hand right now. It did. I can't, I can't imagine that. Yeah. That put you in a really horrible spot. I would think. So another thing that happened to me that you mentioned in the book was there was a conversation with your um, half brother, Alec, and it just stood out to me. And you, and he asked you, do you really think of yourself as my sister? You're my sister, right? And I'm your brother. Mm-hmm. 
And so how, in what did you say to him in that moment? And how did you, how were you processing that? Yeah. Okay. So before I answer that, I just want to go back one step and say, thank you for saying that about understanding how horrible it must have felt to be holding their two hands. Because I feel like only an adoptee would understand that. Yes. Yeah. Everybody else would be like, oh, how beautiful. Right. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. And then about Alec. Yeah. Because that whole trip is what made me even more confused because now it wasn't just Kate. It was these other little people who were so sweet and so cute. And I just naturally, you know, love people when I connect with them. And they, we had a great connection. But I felt guilt when I looked into his eye. I mean, when he asked me, I probably said, yes, because that was all I said right. for a long time. <laughs> but in my mind, I was like, it's kind of like so much suppression, swallowing my guilt and feeling of sorry to my sister. I really thought I only have a sister and now I have these brothers. I felt like I was betraying my adopted family. I felt a lot of breaks, a lot of defensiveness coming up, but I couldn't show it and I couldn't say it, but it was happening like a wall was closing over my heart. I'm, I'm not ready to let you people be my family. My family is my family who I grew up with. That's how I felt. I know not all adoptees feel that way, but I felt that very much in my heart. So it felt like, I don't know, it's not easy for me to give you that that title here, right here. Yeah. But they wanted it so much. And then I wanted to give them what they wanted. And that was the confusion. Yeah. I think when I look back, my little brother was probably eight or nine and he um, blurted out one day, why do you call her Nancy? Why don't you call her mom? Why aren't you calling her mom? And I was just like, "Uh, I don't honestly do not remember what my response was to that, but you know, he was collateral damage of adoption he didn't understand. Mm. And I felt so bad. I like, I, I really don't remember what I said <laughs> right. at the moment. I probably, probably blacked out, <laughs> right, right. but that's why that stood out to me um, in the book. Yeah. Um, you also talk about the conflict of not hurting your adoptive parents by having a relationship with Kate. Mm-hmm. And you said you wish that you were never adopted and that you didn't have to make these decisions and how guilty you felt like so many adoptees feel. And you said it felt as if a bandage had been ripped off a wound. I didn't even know I had the guilt and confusion were the pus of the deep unseen injury that I didn't yet understand. The wound was oozing and dripping everywhere beyond my ability to control it. Yes. Yes. That's just so good. So good. I mean, it explains it perfectly, really. I love that part. So talk about the conflict that was going on. Was that in what you just explained here? Was that part of the primal wound? Like when you talk about the wound opening and oozing, you're talking about the primal wound. Yeah. And of course, I didn't know that it was a primal wound, but it just, it began. It was the beginning. It was the beginning. And, um, I I felt guilt. Nobody made me feel it, but I did feel it. And that was a big conflict. I wanted it to go away because I, I was slash am such people pleaser. I want to make everybody happy, but I didn't really feel like I had it in me and it didn't make sense inside of me to make Mm. this family happy. I'm kind of, I'm not making this family. They didn't say that, but it just felt that way in my own conscience. I had a strong, you know, Nancy Verrier says in the primal wound, 
usually adoptees will have a strong loyalty to either the adoptive family or the birth family. And mine was clearly to my adoptive family. The sense of loyalty was so strong inside of me. So it, it felt like a betrayal. Yeah. Nobody said a word, but I was stuck. So that's why I was like, I wish this just never happened. And that was the beginning of the wound. And then in my trying to have a relationship with Kate and trying to navigate my way through that struggle inside of me and my brothers and, and one piece at a time, the wound became more and more apparent to me. Mm. So you talk about one particular night with Kate, where you said you felt a volcano starting to erupt inside of you and you were trying to define what you were feeling And then you said, there was a crazed girl in my head screaming, you better love me. I need you to love me. The volcano within had begun to spew. It surprised me at first to hear this voice inside of me so clearly, but then I realized she'd always been there. She felt familiar. Who was the screaming girl exactly? She was my anger. If it could shout, she was my guilt. If it could wail, she was my fear. If it could cry out, she was the entity of the wounded living inside of me. And I finally begun to hear her. I remember nothing more from that night at the dinner. I couldn't just tell Kate what I was trying to say. I had choked on my primal wound. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I I can totally sympathize with you sitting at that dinner table, like having all these feelings and like trying to talk them out with her, but not totally feeling like you could. And yeah, and you're going through it a lot, but you're having to live it out in front of her and everybody else yeah. too. Yeah. And the struggle of that, I just can't imagine Yeah, what was going on in that moment. Yeah, so hard. It really feels like a blind spot, that wound. It was like a blind, I had to get it out of the blind spot in order to start to deal with it. But it was discovering even that I had a wound in a blind spot. And the the reason why I say that is because we don't remember, right? It's not a memory to say, oh, when I was adopted that time, Mm -hmm. not for those of us who are adopted as babies or it happened at birth. So that we can process our childhood hurts with our, through our memories, but we can't process that through memory because there is no memory. Right. Why it was just so complicated and numb, but then, you know, what, what is numb Always underneath Nam, when the ice melts, that's where the volcano is. There's actually extreme hurt under there. And I was just starting to get in touch with it at that time. Do you, do you think that you were avoiding it on purpose or you really didn't know it was there? Absolutely not. I really didn't know it was there. I'm a very emotional person. <laughs> I don't hide them easily. I should hide them more. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I've always been a very emotional person. So if I could have named it, I would, you know, but I, it, that's why later I knew this is the wound and what's underneath it is really deep, really deep and really complex. How did you, how did you, when you realized it, did you realize too in that same moment that you needed to find yourself And like we were talking about earlier, how it's all inside of you. Was that like something that was like, you knew right away? 
or did you find that out throughout the process? So actually, the or- the order is that I met Kate, and then I really my kind of mental health also started to really deteriorate, and it frightened me. And I was like, I need to find peace inside of me. I need help. That's when I went to the Body and Brain Center, and very shortly after that someone told me about this finding true self workshop and I got so excited and I was like, I really want to meet my true self. And I had that amazing experience. It was so healing. And then I feel like because I found that place, it actually, it actually shined light on some of these things that were numb and blind to me that coupled with me trying to have the relationship with Kate. So actually that moment at the diner that you just read happened many years later as I kept doing the work. First I had to process through my childhood and everything that happened with my mother. And then I went deeper and what started coming out was was those very confusing complex. For instance, anger, but I don't have a memory to the anger or guilt, but the guilt doesn't really make any sense. Like very complex feelings that I had to, Mm -hmm. it was hard to allow myself to feel them. And you go into the book and talk about your healing journey. And was that a long process to figure out all those steps in the healing process? (laughs) I mean, it's so detailed on how you do it. And there's like all these steps I'm sure it just didn't like download into your brain. Like how long did it take for you to figure all that out? Yeah, it's such an ongoing journey. So I learned that I learned those steps at the beginning, but then putting them into practice and then experiencing them inside of me with my own issues, right. That I needed Mm -hmm. to feel or accept. And then that took many years. And then I started teaching it because it helped me so much. I probably started teaching it about 10 years later. And then in the teaching, I I myself was able to actually continue to go even deeper and to awaken more deeply about the different steps. So even in the book, some of those steps, I'm talking about what I'm realizing as I'm writing Healing Tree. They're even present moment. So I love those steps. Because we can start with them, but then we can go deep, deep, deep. They just become tools for the whole journey, for the life. But I think it took me about, I would say, five years to get out of a really challenging spot and into a more stable place with my own. And I mean, anybody can use it. You don't have to be an adoptee to use these steps. I mean, you can use them in a lot of different traumas and areas and yeah for sure but most of my students are not adoptees and a lot of the people even the people who wrote sharings about the book said over and over again on the reviews I'm not adopted but I could really relate because of my relationship with my mother or what happened to me when I was a child so yeah it's very relatable those steps are for they're universal do you think that we ever totally heal from the primal wound or is it a constant journey? It's a very good question. I think that the primal wound is always with us because as she says in her book, it's kind of an injury that we experience energetically and psychologically. So it's there, but even the primal wound cannot damage who I really am, my true essence. So when we're able to find that and tap into that, then They just kind of coexist. There is the true essence of me. And then there's just sort of in this lifetime, 
what I have to work with and deal with. And when I shift out of my center, yeah, I'm going to have to face those feelings. But when I shift back into my center, that doesn't have much meaning. It doesn't define me in any way. It doesn't say anything about my worth and value or who I really am. So I think we live with it, but the process is to keep getting closer to who I am and more strongly aligned with that center in me. And that's where the healing happens. Right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and every story I Every story that's told it just gives another adoptee permission to talk about their journey as well. Um, I think the more stories that are told, it just, it, it's time to educate the world on adoption. And I just feel this huge uprising right now. So thank you for writing the book. Thank you for coming on. I want to close with a question that's somewhat positive. So um, what is something positive that your adoption experience has taught you? Well, I feel that it has almost been a a guide. It's kind of driven me to go into the deepest part of myself, to find the place of myself that was not wounded, right? And then definitely the way, the, the love and care I received from my adoptive parents gave me some stability to let me do that process. But overall, the whole picture has been here to help me kind of grow and sort of awaken to myself that I am not, I am not my wound and I am not this anger and I am not this guilt. I'm, I'm none of those things. And finding who I really am has been probably the most amazing, beautiful thing of my life. So in that way, I need to just say thank you to this <laughs> being adopted when I felt Mm. so stressed about it at the beginning in that 20 year journey since then I can now I can honestly truly say thank you for it Mm -hmm. yeah well where can we find you where can we find your book the healing tree yes thank you so much sure so my website is daniellegaudet.com And there you can find my book. There's a couple of different places to buy it there. Some people don't like Amazon necessarily. So there's options. My blog is there. Um, Some videos and services that I offer. There's a lot of things there at daniellegaudet.com. And then on Facebook, I have a Facebook group called Healing Tree, a space for self-love and self-forgiveness. Oh, nice. I'm going to go on and join that. I didn't know that. (laughs) Oh, thank you. We'll put all the links in the show notes so people can find you and find the healing tree and, and your Facebook page and all that stuff. So thank you so much again for sharing your story. Thank you so much, Melissa, for having me. It was so nice to talk with you. I love, love, love Danielle's story. I mean, everything she went through and struggled with, but she never gave up on herself. She never gave up on finding her true, authentic self. I highly recommend her book, Healing Tree, even if you are not an adoptee. The second part of the book is all about healing and not just from adoption, but from any trauma or any struggles that you're having in life. It's a very spiritual technique. And that's what I love about it. If you would like to get in touch with Danielle, I have all her links in the show notes as well as how to get her book. 
I want to thank those that have gone on and rated and reviewed the podcast recently. Thank you so much. The latest review is by Karina Kay, and she says, I have such an appreciation for the work you are doing outside of your day job with Mind Your Own Karma. Everyone's stories and the education in general are helping me as a therapist to be more compassionate and supportive for adoptees and adoption parents. It is also validating for me regarding not having my dad involved growing up. I also have lots of trauma regarding my mother, whom I lived with, which unfortunately provided me some of the experiences adoptees discuss as well. Just saying thank you, and I am still a dedicated listener. Thank you so much, Karina Kay. I had Karina Kay on the podcast um, as a therapist talking about foster care and adopted kids. It was a really great episode with lots of insight. So if you're interested, you can go back and listen to that. As for future episodes, I have been doing a ton of interviewing. I finally got a birth mother to interview with me. I'm super excited about that. The interview is so great. I can't wait to bring that to you. I also talked to a adoptive reunion coach which I've been talking about that as well. So I got both of them to come on the show. So be looking for those coming soon. If you have an adoption story to tell, you could be anyone in the adoption constellation, please contact me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com and let's get you on the podcast. It's time to educate the world one story at a time. As always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time. Oh my gosh, Tomlin. Are you serious? This is what I put up with, guys.